0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 is a continuation of Luke 12. It starts by saying there were some present at that very time. So Luke 12, 1 through the rest of Luke, which is all the way through verse 59, is a talk by Jesus on God's judgment against the selfishness and the foolishness of human beings. It is a judgment sermon. It is interrupted in Luke 12, 13 by somebody who wanted Jesus to figure out their inheritance problem. And so Jesus talks about greed and covetousness, but the whole theme of Luke 12 and into 13 is the judgment of God against the sinfulness and the foolishness of human beings. And so... In verse 13, we look and we see that the people who were there want to participate when you are listening to a teacher and the teacher is saying something that you have experience with or perhaps you have an application or a a historical view of this. And so Jesus is talking about judgment. And so the people who are there believe they have a story about judgment. And so they said, uh, they told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And we don't know, there's no historical record of this event, but you look at what the Romans did. Uh, we know from the, the crucifixion stories in uh, the Gospels, that Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. He had absolute authority over the region that he was governor of. It was a military occupation, and so we can, we can guess or we can speculate that the Romans didn't go around just killing people. They killed people who were in a state of rebellion. Pilate allowed Jesus Christ to be crucified to keep the peace so that there would not be an insurrection. There would not be a rebellion against the Romans, Pilate thought if I kill this one person that everything will calm down. Of course, it didn't. And the historical records after the Gospels end show that the Jews continued to rebel, rebel and the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. But these people want to play along. And so Jesus says, do you think that these G- Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. Now, the people who are asking this question are in their mind saying, yes, that is why I brought this up, because God is using Pilate as the hand of judgment against these rebellious Galileans. Uh, It says, mingled with their sacrifices, which means probably the Galileans were killed on the temple grounds. Uh, And that would be considered, uh, you, you don't kill people in a holy area like that. So it wasn't like Pilate put them on the altar or anything of this nature. They were just killed in the temple area. And so Jesus asked this, and their view is, yes, of course. When a calamity hits against somebody, and people back then, people today have the same basic view, basic understanding that if a great calamity befalls you, some people will actually say it is because of your sin. It is because your sin is catching up with you. It is because God has decided to uh, express his wrath to you individually or a group. And people have have used these statements when there has been... Great disasters like uh, Pompeii is in the commentaries a lot. That Pompeii was a very wicked, very evil, very sexually immoral, very pornographic society. And Vesuvius erupted and wiped out Pompeii and is now a museum because they were able to find the people in the hollows of the ash. And people will say, Aha! See, that's God's judgment on the people of Pompeii. And Jesus says, well, do you think this? No, that is not true. That God does not and God is not. And the teaching of scripture is that God is not keeping track or score of each individual on this planet. And when your score of sin gets high enough, God does not squish you. That is not how God is working today. That is not how God is working since the cross. Jesus says, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so Jesus takes it from individual judgment of this group of people to a universal judgment of God has commands and God has teaching and God has An ideal way to live, and unless you repent of that, then you will repent, then you will perish with all those who fail to repent. And then Jesus turns it around and says, Or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. And the Tower of Siloam was near the Pool of Siloam. And if you read the Gospels, there was a guy who came to Jesus and said, I'm blind, please heal me. And Jesus put mud on his eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this was a well-known place. Uh, Archaeology kind of indicates that there was a Roman aqueduct that came through Jerusalem and emptied into the pool of Siloam. And so If you've ever seen a picture of an aqueduct, it's on these big stilts and it's up above and it's at an angle so the water flows. One of these legs, one of these towers holding up the aqueduct could have fallen. We also do not have any historical record of this, but what is Jesus doing? If you talk to the people in Jerusalem at this time, the people who lived in Jerusalem, they actually thought that they were more holy, that they were more righteous, that they were more favored by God because they lived close to the temple. Their proximity to the temple affected their righteousness, they believed. They believed that, uh, if you read Jeremiah, for example, as the Babylonians are coming in, the people who went to the temple for protection were baffled that the Babylonians were able to get into the temple and take them away and destroy the temple. Their view was the temple was such a holy place, the actual abode of God. It was the temple that God would not let anything happen to it. And so the people who lived in Jerusalem looked at those who were living in Galilee. Jerusalem is down by the Dead Sea. Galilee is up by the Mediterranean Sea. And the the view was that that was backwater Hicksville. That if you lived in Jerusalem, those who lived up in Galilee and Nazareth, that's why, Jesus, that's why they questioned. Jesus is from Nazareth, that's backwater Hickville. And so they said that they would be less holy. So I could understand God judging them. But people who live in Jerusalem, people who live this close to the temple, we would never think of a natural disaster as a judgment of God. And so Jesus is saying you have these two events which are considered natural disasters. I mean, one was the Roman government, another was an architectural problem, but they were something that were not worthy or caused or something that God is making happen because of their sin. And then he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so Jesus says twice... You have to repent or you'll likewise perish. And what does he want them to repent of? He wants them to repent of their selfishness, of their self-centeredness, of their using God as a tool to put burdens on people. He wants them to get back to the law they preach. See, the religious leaders of the time of Jesus would actually preach a fairly straightforward Old Testament truth but then they would go and they would violate it over here and they would sleep around and they would steal and they would be vile to people and they would be divisive but in their face they would say hey look at me I'm righteous and holy and so one problem that Jesus was trying to uncover is that it really doesn't matter how you act in public if you live like the devil in private. It doesn't matter what sort of face you put on, what sort of niceties you put on, what people think about you in public places if in your private life, in secret, you are vile and you are evil and you are anti-God. And that's what the people who were the most public leaders of the religion during the time of Jesus were doing. And he was saying, if God was picking people to pour his wrath out on, he would pick you. And so we can't look at a natural disaster. We can't look at a crime. We can't look at things that really hurt people, catastrophes that happen in this world, and bring in, that's the judgment of God, the best way to look at it is that the world is a really broken, evil place. The world is an anti-God place as a world. And so there's going to be things that break and there's going to be criminals who kill people and there's going to be people like Hitler or Stalin or Mao Zedong or these great national leaders who killed a lot of their own population. There's going to be these types of people because sin reigns in the world. Evil reigns in the world. And as things get more and more bad, you can see it, there are less and less consequences for sin in the world. And so Jesus wraps this up With a parable, parables of a fig tree. Fig trees are a common Old Testament image. If you read through the Old Testament, you will find fig trees as a metaphor mentioned over 50 times. 28 times of those 50 times in the Old Testament, the fig tree represented Israel. Israel was a fig tree, fig tree's Israel, and how God does things with a fig tree. When Israel was worshiping God correctly, when Israel was doing all that God wanted to do, they were considered fruitful. They were a fruitful fig tree. And so this is a story of a guy who plants a fig tree and he plants the fig tree, and the way fig trees are is once they're beyond sapling, once they are in the ground, they will produce figs the next season. There is no waiting period for a fig tree to produce figs. It may only produce two the first year, but there will always be fruit on a fig tree, and that comes into play when Jesus actually curses a fig tree for not having any fruit. There is no such thing as a good barren fig tree. A fig tree will have fruit. Now, this fig tree probably had all sorts of green leaves because if a tree is putting all of its energy not into fruit, it's putting it into branches and it is putting it into leaves, so it was probably a very beautiful tree, it was probably very full, very tall, it had been there for three years, but it had no fruit, and so the person who owns the tree says, cut it down, and the vine dresser says, no, give it one more year, and I'll take care of it, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it, and I'll talk nicely to it, and I'll you know, bring pretty pictures for it to look at. I'll do whatever you need to do to make this tree produce fruit. And Jesus' reason for telling this is he is telling Israel that they are on borrowed time. He is telling Israel that the end is near. He is telling Israel that They are the tree, and they knew this. When he said fig tree, all the Bible scholars that are in the audience say, Hey, that's me. I know this story. And then he talks about the tree being cut down, and that is horrendous. That means God is abandoning Israel, and the understanding, and I've even talked to Jewish people today and read writings from Jewish people today there is a view that they are God's chosen people and they can do anything. They can live like the devil and God will still protect them because they are God's chosen people. When Christ come, the idea of a singular chosen people ended. When Christ died on the cross, The offer for salvation became open to every human being on the planet, no matter what country, no matter what nation, no matter what language, no matter what. Everybody and everybody today, there is a genuine true offer of salvation, and that's why we knock on doors. That's why, in the past, we've mailed out tracks. We get the word out to our neighborhood that Jesus Christ is available for them because it is open for everybody. And so, there is a change in God's chosen people. Who are God's chosen people today? It's you. You are God's chosen people, the church. The church is God's new chosen people and you will have all manner of people. You will even have Jews that have converted to Christ who are going to church. And so Jesus is saying if you don't straighten up, if you don't produce fruit, if you don't become a godly nation, then you will be cut down and you can ask the question, well, were they? Did it happen? Well, as I said, after they killed Jesus and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, rebellions still continued. Some people apparently saw the Jesus movement and said, I want one of those. And so several religious movements that were reformations of Judaism popped up. And several people said... We have to wipe out the Romans because God is on our side. In 70 A.D., the Romans said, oh, no, you don't. And they came in and they destroyed the temple. They tore it apart stone by stone, leveled it because they thought there was treasure inside. But there was no treasure inside. And so the Jews repented of that and then in 132 A.D., A guy said, I am Christ. And he got a big army, and they threatened Rome. And Rome sent in the biggest army they've ever sent into Jerusalem and leveled it. And they renamed it to Alina Capitolina. And in 132, all the Jews were kicked out of Jerusalem. It was illegal In the Roman Empire to practice Judaism, to have a copy of the Torah, to have a copy of the scriptures, illegal. And so the Jews scattered, and of course the Christians that were part of that group also scattered. And many people look at that and say, well, that's how God pushed Christianity out of the world. It couldn't be focused in Jerusalem anymore. It had to go out. But at that moment in 132 A.D., Jews were banned from Jerusalem and Jews did not have a homeland until May 14, 1948, when the United Nations voted Israel into existence. For that amount of time, the fig tree... Was cut down. And so we can say, well, am I the fig tree? This has to have a deeper representation than just a nation that is way over there. And I think if we look at how God judges and how God wants desires and how God, through Christ, has told us how to live and has given us direction. I think there are many people who call themselves Christian, never go to church, never read their Bible, don't give God a second thought during the week. And I think this passage is talking to them, saying, hey, you're the fig tree, and you're not producing any fruit, and God should cut you down right now because of your rebellion but God's going to give you a little more time. And why does God give more time? God gives more time so that we will repent. When we look at the world and we say, why doesn't God end it all? Why doesn't Jesus Christ come back you know, today and, and put everything right? The answer from Scripture, from 2 Peter 3 is that God is waiting so that more people will get saved. If God ended it right now, then the offer for salvation would end right now. So God is taking his time because of his love. If you read this, and it says, Shall we cut the tree down right now? And they say, no, wait, give us another year. That is God's judgment put against his mercy. God is a merciful God and God is giving a lot of people a lot more time to repent. And when it's all said and done and we all stand before Jesus Christ as the final and absolute judge, I think he will tell people who have rejected him their whole lives, I think he will be able to produce the times that we knocked on their door, the times that I handed them a track, the times that opportunities were given and they just threw them in the trash. God is a loving God and God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But it's our decision, it's our choice and we need to be people who tell people, but we also need to be people who are fruitful ourselves. As the the fig tree in this story, I need to be able to look at my life and say, am I fruitful? Am I doing what God wants? When you say, well, what is the fruit? There's a list in Galatians 5 of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control the nine fruit of the Spirit, and you can actually write them out. And if you want to do it this way, at the end of the day, you say, how was I in self-control? And give yourself a grade, A through F. And if you're always getting an F on kindness and gentleness and self-control, well, then that's something that you work on and that's something that you pray about and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with these fruits so that when... The vine dresser, when God looks at your life, he can say, aha, a very fruitful fig tree. I will not cut it down, for it is doing all that it needs to do. It is being an obedient fruit tree. It is being what it was made to be. And so if you call yourself a Christian, you've got to be fruitful. You've got to have fruit in your life. Yet judgment is coming and judgment is coming. And people, I've told people, I've knocked on these doors and I said, Time is short. I've taken many different tacks during one trip. I said, Time is short. You you know, I'm here giving you an offer to keep you out of hell. And people tend to turn it around and say, well God has no right to do that or judge God because why would a good God send me to hell and they begin to judge God and his motives and that's the goofiest thing I've ever seen that God your creator has said this is what you've got to do and for me to turn around and say no that's wrong I don't have to do that God is wrong will not end up well there is a view that God doesn't care because life didn't turn out the way I want. There is a view that God is absent or does not exist because I didn't get you know, the raise I wanted or the Christmas present I wanted or the new car or whatever I wanted that I didn't get. I put that on God and I say, God, you're a bad God because you're not doing what I want you to be. And God is saying... You're a fig tree. Produce some fruit. I mean, I've given you everything. The vineyard is a protected place. There's a person giving this fig tree everything that a fig tree could want. And I think especially around here, we have basically everything we need to serve God, yet people choose not to. We need to respond by faith. We need to respond in prayer and we need to say god you're right i'm not fruitful i'm not doing things right i want you to take over and i want you to run my life and that is the proper response to the offer that christ is giving let us pray lord god almighty we know that you will not wait forever and we do not know, and we also know that each of us is living on borrowed time. We do not know when our lives will be over and when our life ends, then the chance to accept the offer also ends. I just pray that you would work in the hearts of those in San Lorenzo, realizing that you will not wait forever. And if they are waiting for you to meet their expectations. That is a dangerous game to play. I pray that you would open our eyes to opportunities and understanding that what we do has eternal consequences. We thank you for all of this and pray that you would put this in our hearts, that you are a God of great mercy, grace, and steadfast love, but you will not wait forever. Lord, we thank you for this and ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 AM. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your king. God bless.